Welcome back to Chunky Glass of the Podcast. But you already knew that because you pushed play on the thing or whatever you're listening to this on. Uh, whatever you're listening to this on, we thank you. Uh, I am Kevin, as usual. This week we're going to have Paul and Patrick on. Uh, we're going to be talking about two albums because we're trying to see if, if this is going to work better for you. If, if you're feeling this, uh, then uh, please let us know. Like We, we want to make, make it so it's pleasing going into your ears and thing you enjoy doing instead of uh, something you don't. But uh, this week we're going to be talking about uh, one Screaming Females and their new album, Rose Mountain. Uh, they are a much-hyped band and probably deservedly so. Another one of Paul's favorite bands. Uh, haven't really caught on to them until now, but but like, this, this might be my jam a little bit. Uh, we're also going to be talking about A Place to Bury Strangers, uh, who actually just played here in town at the Rockman Hotel in the town being D.C. Uh, their new album, Transfixiation, is uh, sort of a cleaning up of their sound. If you haven't seen them, uh, seeing them is really where you need to go because they will quite literally blow your face off. One of the loudest and best rock shows around. But on record, uh, they're trying to capture a little bit of that. And so we're going to get into into that and see if they do it on this one, their, their fourth record. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about um, you all listening to this, probably how good a lot of shows, try to buy a lot of tickets. Uh, replacements tickets went on sale earlier this week and sold out in under a second. Um, that's a thing, you know, and then they show up on StubHub. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the secondary market, what that means for you, what that means for the, the music industry, or at least what we think it means. And, and you know, should should clubs be uh, more aggressively uh, curbing uh, these results and seeing what they can do to, to combat that, to, to uh, battle the bots, as it were. Uh, so that's all going to be on this podcast. Uh, so right now, we're just going to get to it. We're going to let you hear your thing. Uh, so here we go. This is episode number 104 of Chunky Glass of the Podcast. Talking about Screaming Females, Rose Mountain, and A Place to Bury Strangers, Transfixiation. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man. Nearly a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. That right there he is a wonderful Yeah, that, that place was pretty much shut down. I'm yeah. sure DC was too. Yeah, here there's a lot of uh, destiny, a lot of poop socking. Mm-hmm. Look it up, kids. <laughs> or or don't. Mm-hmm. I think um, there will be a lot of babies born nine months from now in this area, by the way. It might be. It's like it was a Saturday. You see, that's what snowstorms are good for. Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, last week we were a little on the quiet side. 
uh, unless you didn't like fake British accents and then get a little little excitable, um, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, um, and uh, but but this week though, uh, sort of to appease you, Paul. Oh, this I, is all appeasement. This is all here. appeasement. Wow! Uh, I, because I've been telling you, like, plan a podcast, pick what you want, and stuff. And so, this band, one of the bands we're going to be talking about today, I think, is one of your favorite, like, recent bands. Yes, like uh, Screaming Females. They have a new album coming out uh, called Rose Mountain. Uh, and then another uh, band we're going to be talking about is uh, I, I saw them back in 2012, and they melted my face and Andre's face too is uh, a place to bury strangers. Um, and they have a new album out called transfixiation. Uh, they actually just played here in DC, missed the show because set list or set time was 1115 at night. Don't do that. The olds will not come to your show. <laughs> Maybe that's by design. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not, uh, you know, they're in their thirties. I can't be comfortable for them either. So wasn't it? Wasn't it a Friday night too? Yeah, well, yeah, but okay. that's sort of vampire music. I mean, maybe the vampires needed oh. to be that late at night. That's true. Okay. All right. So basically, I'm just really old, and I'm, not, I'm just I would like, go yeah. uh, Before we get to that, uh, I want to talk about uh, something we've, we've mentioned on the show this before, but we uh, it's a little more relevant this week, I would say. Uh, the replacements are playing Echo Stage, mm. uh, which is. Uh, I, I don't know where you fall on it. I uh, never had a chance to see the replacements. I'm a huge replacements fan, by the way. Never had a chance to see them uh, in my youth, uh, and never will because you know the replace, replacements don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But the store going out could be a fun thing. Uh, tickets were fairly expensive. That's not a problem. You know, whatever. You know, they they got to make their money. Sure. Um, did a presale, and presale is a limited amount of tickets. Uh, gone in under a second. Yeah, both of us were online right when it started, and neither one of us got tickets. Did an on-sale, gone in about 10 seconds, the next day. So we're talking about 4,000 tickets that just get sucked up like that. For a band that, like, yeah, I'm in D.C., I'm sure there's there's a remarkable market for the replacements. People come from all over. You know, mm-hmm. But, like... Demand for any show, uh, I would argue, is never that great, especially mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and so what I want to talk about a little is sort of uh, how this – how our online ticketing stuff has sort of uh, enabled scalpers and stubhubbers and people who just want to like sort of play this weird new market uh, to uh, <laughs> to basically be dicks mm-hmm. <laughs> would be the thing. I mean – what did I say? Uh, about two minutes after they went on sale, 150 tickets of a five – I'm guessing a 500-seat presale were up on StubHub. Yeah, and I mean I think a big part of the problem here is the amount that they let you buy. Like when you know that a – when you know that a concert is going to be popular, you do what they did, frankly, with the Slater Kinney show, which also sold out incredibly quickly, but right. they limited people to two tickets, yeah. which doesn't solve the problem, but it right. keeps you from having these big purchases. And both the sale and the pre-sale were eight ticket max yeah. for a, what you said is a 4,000 seat venue. And you know, everybody's maxing out when they get in there because they know they can resell them. So you're talking about 500 people being able to get into a 4,000 seat venue and everything's in there from the second. Secondary market. Yeah, yeah. And it goes to the secondary market because everybody knows now that they can make the money for that. Yeah. So there's a few problems going on is that uh, the venue 
I mean, they, they're selling all the tickets. So should they give a fuck? Like, I would argue that they should give a fuck because like it's bad customer service. If if I'm if you look at like some place like the nine thirty club, which they're IMP are the ones in charge of this, right. and you know I'm I'm hip to their brand. You know this is uh, nine thirty club doing good things. But if every show sells out. And then the only way I can get to see a show there is uh, is on the secondary market. I, I might, you know, start having bad thoughts about them. I mean, they just got recent, last night, in fact, uh, named again the best nightclub uh, in the country from Polestar. Um, they so they keep doing this, and mm-hmm. and to be fair, for Foo Fighters, it was uh, you show your ID at the door, the paperless mm-hmm. ticketing system, uh. um, but. You know, I mean, do you guys think they have an obligation at all, or should they just be like, "Fuck it, we we get the money, bitches"? Well, I don't know if I have a full answer for that. Yeah, one thing is the ticket limiting thing can go too far. Two, I, I would limit it to four. That still mm-hmm. doesn't solve the problems. So they can't. Maybe it's it's better than eight. Like right. I can't. Eight is the kind of ticket limit that you put on a show that you don't think is going to sell out, right. and yeah. you're just hoping that people will buy all the tickets. Yeah. I would only add that Paul McCartney, I read, recently limited it to one. What? <laughs> seems a little over the top. <laughs> wow. You will be single the rest of so, your life. Sorry, honey. <laughs> Can't go with me. <laughs> or you're going to be sitting across the baseball stadium. Yes. Yeah. He's paying for all the, a bunch of divorces of baby boomers. Uh, so there's that. There's also I'm also reminded of before all this online stuff, when I used to live in Chicago, there was a hilarious Second City sketch where... People, you know, the adults would come to the class of the kids mm. and talk about what they did for work, and they were making fun of sort of the jobs that were evolving in the new economy. This is 10, 15 years sure. ago. Sure. And uh, this one guy got up and said, Kids, what I do is I go to your favorite music venue when your favorite music artist is going to play, and I pay a couple homeless guys in booze to stand in line and get as many tickets as they can. <laughs> Give them, you know, 50, yeah. 60 bucks yeah. to get as many tickets as they can, and then I get grab the tickets back and I sell them at double the price. Like I'm totally against the, the secondary market, but, and, and it ruins the fun for, for those who want to go. But mm-hmm. your point is well taken. If, if the nine thirty club could make every concert, the super bowl so that every person that walked in paid, you know, 500, a thousand dollars, of course they, they would, would want to do that. They would because demand would be greatly exceeding supply. Mm-hmm. That's a good business model, but it ignores the idea that um, community is important yep. and that people who want to see the shows that are actual music fans that may not be able to afford it can get to see it. I mean, the counter, here's the counter argument. Since music is basically free now. Yeah. Is it that big a problem? I mean, if the correction, if the sort of correction to help people make money, although the artists aren't getting the money from the secondary market, Correct. if the correction is, you know, for people to make money on music that it has to be this secondary market where shows are this thing that are in high demand and people are mm-hmm. willing to pay a premium for it. You know, is that a correction in society? Now setting aside the artists don't see that money for a second. I mean, maybe that's the answer. Van Halen got busted actually setting aside a block of tickets to, uh, for StubHub huh. specifically because StubHub is owned by Ticketmaster. Well, and, and honestly, I think that that to me strikes the heart of the problem. Like I mm. don't, I don't have a problem with venues and artists getting as much money for their product Absolutely as they can. Not. So if there was some kind of uh, some kind of instant rolling auction that allowed the market to set the actual price, and then the people who host the uh, host the event and the people who make the art 
get a big cut of that, mm-hmm. I don't really have a problem with it. It might drive it might drive prices up, mm-hmm. but my thought is that it would probably keep prices at a reasonable level because you're gonna it's gonna end up balancing out where the actual demand is. Yeah. But right now you've got an artificial price limit and then you've got a secondary market creating profit right there for folks who have nothing to do with the product and nothing to do with the uh, with hosting the event. Right. And that that's what I have a problem with. Like there shouldn't mm-hmm. be a market solely in in this resale that the artist that the artists don't see and that the uh, and that the venue doesn't see. Yeah. Yeah. Now and there there is a very uh, at least to my mind and you guys can either agree or disagree a very simple solution to all this which is paperless ticketing. It's something that exists. It's something that like you you aren't getting into a venue without your ID. Uh, you can't buy a ticket in general without a, a credit card, a bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea behind this is that uh, you buy a ticket to a show that you know you're going to go to. And there's a few arguments like, well, what if I can't get a babysitter? I'm like, well, you know, that, that's so far an outlier that it, it really shouldn't be considered. But, uh, you know, and this they executed this with the Black Cat actually for the uh, Foo Fighters show when they played there. You could not uh, enter – when you bought a ticket, they wrote your name on it. You could not enter without your ID and that ticket, and they had to match. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't do it and, like, walk outside then. Um, I mean, how do you guys feel about a system like this? I, I mean, I don't I don't like that's, that as a solution either um, because tickets often go on sale well before the concert. Mm-hmm. You know it's a concert you're interested in. Correct. And you need to pick up tickets. I, I'll just – personal example, uh, Sleater Kinney, when they went on sale – I bought the four tickets because I had uh, two friends who were Sleater Kinney fans who thought they were going to be able to come out from Chicago. I was going to go with my wife. There's four tickets right mm-hmm. there. My friends couldn't come out from Chicago because of a, because of a business trip. My wife goes on a business trip. But, I've got four <laughs> tickets and I'm keep, and I'm keeping one. Again, that's an outlier situation. Well, it's not an outlier. You to the know, guy who had to buy four tickets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you knew you wanted to go to that concert. Yes. So you're buying the tickets. You're, you're and you know, but you need to have you need to have a way to. Get your to ha, to be reimbursed if there's a demand for it if you're oh, yeah, not yeah, able yeah. to go. Yeah. And so there has to be a way to transfer the to transfer the ID. Like that's that's all I'm saying mm-hmm. is that if you if you say okay, here are the four people that are going. Oh wait, now it's these other three people instead of instead of that. You got to be able to do that because otherwise you're not going to be able to. The easiest thing, the easy way, easiest way I think to accomplish it would be to just put the tickets back in the pool. Like don't transfer the because if you if you're transferring names around then it's the same as scalping. It's like I bought twenty tickets, and oh Bob one over here is going to take two. Bob two over here is going to take three, and whatever. Uh, you know, it, and the return policies on on tickets are pretty much non-existent. Like I don't know if you've gotten into a ticket fly. They're like, yeah, no, it's not happening. But um, you well, know, that, I think that's the problem with putting them back in the pool too, because then what you're basically saying is they'd have to have a system in place where it goes back into the pool. Mm-hmm. They're not going to give you a refund. They're only going to you're only going to get reimbursed if you are able to resell if they are able to resell the ticket through their official site. Yeah, it's like and then they're going to re- carpet and, on consignment. Yeah. and then they're going to charge the service fees again. They're going to charge tax again on the same on the. Well, same that's what product. I'm saying. Refund refund the ticket and it goes back into the pool. So they so, won't they, they won't do that though because a lot of these will come back on the same day and they'll be like, now we've got a venue that's only half full on. A show that we thought was right out which is the root of the problem so maybe a preliminary answer before a better system is put in place actually, i actually have two things to say so one maybe a preliminary answer is maybe the paperless ticketing requiring the id is for the pre-sale so that yeah. there is a sense that the hardcore fans mm-hmm. who are willing to get online and do the thing those can be pre-sale you give secondary market access to the 
the broader sale. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's one compromise that, you know, the venue doesn't really get hurt and you're protecting the community and the, the true music yeah. fan a little bit. Second thing I would say is we were just watching the end of the Caps game a few minutes ago. Four or five years ago, the Caps playoff ticket system was you paid a premium for the right to buy a playoff ticket seat. Yeah. Um, at list price because they were trying to keep the money out of the secondary market. So you'd pay like $25 for the right or, or $50 for the right to buy a third row seat at game one of the Stanley Cup finals if they made it. Mm-hmm. Now, once you pay that $25, $50, it's gone. It's the caps have it forever. Whoever is running the system, whomever is running the system. Um, I don't know how that would work at the 930 Club, for example. You'd I mean, have to have sort of a subscription. Is that, yeah, is that analogous to a fan club? Because at that, Maybe, that point, yeah. At that point, oh, like, hold on. That's, I know. You know you're yeah, basically yeah, describing yeah. is an NFL seat license, which has come yeah. under massive <laughs> fire yeah. from like everybody. Right, 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 right. right. I'm not saying it's a solution. I just mean that was the the last time I can remember a sort of someone, a sports team going, you know what? We don't want the money that that could be going to us to go to the scalpers. If you're willing to pay a premium to get this seat, Give this amount of money to us, which is less than what the scalper, the secondary market is mm-hmm. getting, and you will reserve your right to buy this ticket. Now, your right to buy the ticket to a thing that might not that happen. That might not happen. Just, and I bought, you know, I paid the yeah. premium because I was like, if they go to the Stanley Cup, I gotta go. To, I have to go to a game. Yeah. But and so I dumped fifty bucks down the drain, but I didn't care. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I mean, not that sounds that's a solution. Like, it sounds like a good way for a team to make more money. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't. I don't know that it sounds from music venue like a. Yeah, I don't know how it would like work. A solution. You'd have to have like subscriptions to the nine thirty club. Or and something. then what's yeah. preventing though is a band of scalpers right. just being like you'd have to. Limit. Yeah, it's just. Right. So basically, it remains a hot mess. You're also, frankly, you know, I think part of this is that we, I think you touched on earlier that we haven't talked about that much because we were talking about the economics of it, is the image of the club. Like, oh, that's you. you fr- <laughs> I, oh, I'm, what I'm saying is, and I'm not, and I'm not talking about public image. I'm talking about who actually goes because mm-hmm. you've got to make sure that that. that Folks that are going to keep you in a uh, youth-oriented mode are right. actually able to go to the to the venue and see shows. If you start adding licenses, or if the only way to get tickets is to pay twice face value or some huge market mm-hmm. rate, then what you end up with is a bunch of olds mm-hmm. in your club. No, you do, and that's not necessarily you don't stay the best club in America for a long time if the people who are in there are all forty plus. I mean, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. That, that points debate. That points debatable. I, you know, they have a, they have a market share, and you know, we're not we're not picking on your 9:30 club. No, you know, like, you know, but I'm just saying, like, you know, you you are in. We're in DC, and this mm-hmm. is the the premier club here. So, yeah. um, you know, you could say that that club is filled with olds right now, um, because of this. Every show for the past two years. I, I, I can't remember when it switched, but I know it wasn't happening when we started covering shows. But every show now sells out. I don't care who it is. It sells out. No, it's true. And that's not demand. No. When I, when I lived around the corner from them, when I, first, or, when I first moved down there, I would pop over to shows at the 930 Club like day of sometimes. For really big bands. Yeah. 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 Like you knew, you know, the stuff that they threw, threw down a presale for, you knew like, okay, I got a plan for this. But a lot of them, you could a day or two ahead of time, just be like, yeah. "Oh yeah, there's tickets left. Okay, great." Yeah, and so as a business, they're like killing it and yeah. stuff. But you know, it, it's enriching the secondary market. It might help that you don't really fear getting shot so much when you go. I was going to say, what, how much did the improvement of this 
the gentrification, I don't want to say improvement, the gentrification of that area have to do with making the 930 Club a more accessible site. Mm. I would I say a lot. Much. I think it's probably done more even for Black Cat than it has for 930 yeah, Club. Sure, yeah. when, I, when I first moved down there, People did not want to go down to 14th Street unless and they now were going to cap like it was a, Nope. <laughs> now it's just yuppie central. Basically. Yeah. 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 And I mean, but that, and, the, the, and that's, we're going to get to screen mails here in just a minute, but that, that's actually getting into a whole nother podcast, how music has become in the past few years. Like since we started the site, I've seen it become, uh, Almost like a spectator sport. Mm. Like people are like, I'm the biggest music fan, you know, and and really they're just like, like everybody. There's no shame. They like events. They like being around people. They like doing this. Right now, it's music, and that's why you see <laughs> a, a whole lot of like bands coming up that normally you would be like, Wait, what? Well, that's all. I mean, if, if we are going to go meta on this, that's like part of a, I think a bigger cultural narrative. Uh, yeah, I agree. What we we don't have uh, it, music, movies, media is so accessible right now that all you've got left are the events. Right. Like I heard this isn't a thing because anybody can pop on RDO right. or, or uh, you know and listen to it immediately. I saw this isn't a thing because you can download anything you want in five seconds. Mm-hmm. It's I was there, I did this, yeah. and it's the only cultural cachet there is left. I mean, look at how festivals have exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, true. <laughs> I'm not going to hang out in Tennessee with 100,000 anybody's. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I did that twice and it was a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> but you did it 10 years ago, right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it'd be so fun these days. Um, okay. So, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll re- revisit that. And that, that I actually do want to talk about at some point, The uh, how it has become this. That's the only thing they can do. Say they were there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if that's damaging or not, I think it is. But um, right now... Let's talk about a little screamings. Sorry, screaming females. Criminal image from Sleeto Kennedy. No, sorry, Paul. Oh, <laughs> no, it's not. We, we, that's, no, that's that, high praise, actually. That's okay. So. <laughs> uh, that is uh, Screaming Females. The name of that track uh, is the single Criminal Image, like we said, from their uh, album Rose Mountain, which is out today. If you're listening to it, it's not on Tuesday. Uh, if you don't know Screaming Females, they're an American uh, rock band from New Jersey, New Brunswick, New Jersey, in fact. Uh, I think this is their fifth album right now, uh, consisting of Marissa – how do you say it, Paul? 
Paternoster. Paternoster, I think. Paternoster. On guitars and vocals, uh, Jared Daltrey on drums and King Mike on bass. Uh, some people, and I think we're going to be talking about this a little, have addressed them as the, or described them as one of the best bands on the face of the earth. Paul, are you, you okay Dude, with that? they're awesome. Okay. Uh, they got their start. Back in about 2005. They've been around for a good long while uh, in the basement show scene of New Brunswick. So very similar to the house show scene that's going on around here. Mm-hmm. You know, all these bands coming up like that. Uh, I was going to – now I have to uh, the name the 77th greatest guitars of all time, but that article is bullshit. The article is bullshit, but – Marissa is a fantastic. No, she's uh, she, 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 yeah. she, she, she shreds. We're we're, we're going to get to that. Um, with this one, they've always been. Uh, we were talking about this earlier today, Paul. They've always been classified as punk and stuff. And even uh, on Ugly, which is it, that was like one of your favorite albums of the year. I yeah, think. yeah. And uh, and I listened to it again today. I'm still not with you on that. <laughs> but I also don't hear the punk on that either. Um, I, I I think you can. <sighs> The punk is more uh, is more uh, roots, I think, for what they're for right. what they're doing. Like they put a, a lot more thought into it than a typical than a punk band would, and I think that it's more produced than a punk band. And and, yeah. and the riffs way more produced. and the riffs go more to well, go more to like hard rock and like early like nineties ish alternative. Than, that, uh, that's than, actually what I wanted punk. to get into with this. The reason I brought that up is because. Anybody saying they're punk now on Rose Mountain, um, that, that, that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, uh, some pretty sort of shred-tastic, uh, I, I hate to call it classic rock because it's not necessarily classic, mm-hmm. but, but hard, hard, uh, rock in the vein of like Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. There Sounds is, like Sabbath there yeah. is, uh, this, uh, to my ear, hilarious Smashing Pumpkins influence that they will never get away with it from. Are but, they Smashing Pumpkins? Absolutely. Like, it's, yeah, it's, this has got no, some, this has got some absolute gish on it, you know? That, well, and that's what I, yeah, because if it, if it was Siamese Dream, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. Because I hate that album. But Siamese Dream's a good album. No, you kids. Um, <laughs> kids. I, like, I like Siamese Dream. Um, Siamese Dream came out, what, 20? Three years ago, mm-hmm. twenty-four years ago. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, yeah, Gish, Gish was my jam, and that's where I stopped with Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. So let's say that. Um, yeah. So I mean, this is uh, as opposed to my experience with with Ugly or even Chalk Tapes, which came out, which was mm-hmm. a totally different way of making it for them. They just sort of knocked yeah. it out and stuff. Uh, this was this was sort of surprising. I was sort of laughing while listening to this because I was like, I know this is going to be Paul's jam, but now he has to like fully embrace your classic rock side and your Black Sabbath. I, I don't have a problem with my classic rock side. Okay. I, I like the hold steady a lot. Like how do I, <laughs> how have I ever that's had true. a problem with my classic rock side? That, that, that's true. Um, Patrick, how, how did you, how, what do you think about this here? I thought we were going to talk about the Oscars. That's the only reason I'm here. Oh, God, oh we can do that. Actually. No, we can do that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Holly's picks. Uh, <laughs> Website's still um, not done. <laughs> so, I'm not cool enough to have gotten into this band before. I've heard a few tracks before, and it never really grabbed me. I know they were big at CMJ a few years yeah, ago, yeah. which I never. I just I took a pass, and I didn't. It didn't latch on to me. Um, uh, is what's her first name? Marissa. Yeah, she is. 
whether you like this music or not, I think she's an undeniable talent as mm-hmm. a singer and a guitar player. She sounds like the um, lead singer of the Heartless Bastards a little bit. Uh, yeah. That's what I, I – took me a while to figure that out. But um, if you like that kind of sound a little harder, you know, you might like the vocals. She's an incredible – I didn't realize it was her until I looked it up. I was like, who is playing guitar on this? Because it's great. Mm-hmm. And she's a great guitar player. I wouldn't say that the songs – on a song by song basis do that much for me. There are three or four that I liked and the rest I kind of was a little tepid on. Um, I'm not over the moon about the album. I do think the most interesting part of the narrative for this band, from what I understand Mm -hmm. from what you said and what I've read is that this is pretty cleanly produced. Um, It almost sounds like the early uh, Butch Vig mixes of in utero. It sounds, um, I don't know what the word is. And they did one album with uh, Steve Albini. Mm-hmm. Right? They, yeah. That was, yeah. So that maybe that's part of it. But it, it, it it's not punk. It's it's almost, I mean, it's definitely hard rock, but it's maybe even another level. There is an element of Sabbath. There is some other stuff in there mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it's that's not really, I wouldn't say in my wheelhouse, although I do like classic rock. Right, right. But I don't think it's melodic enough to be classic rock. I mean- um, no, it's it's looking back at like the stuff that was uh, I think on the radio around the time of mm-hmm. Gish, around the time of Nirvana mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I mean, you had this explosion. I mean, if we want to call it like That's right, yeah, yeah, alternative. I mean, that that would be the. I, I was trying to use it in the classic sense. Yeah, not pejoratively right at all, but but like alternative in what it was, but. I think this could end up in equal parts and like back then, 120 minutes as it would a headbanger's ball. Mm, that's what I was going to say, a headbanger's ball. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, – I, I like when a, a record is fun yeah. for some reason these days. I don't, I don't – I didn't used to, but because uh, I hate fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like that Jessica Pratt record. I do. I, it's I lo- really I, fun. I, I love that record. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but yeah, this is this – is, uh, uh, like a damn fun in that rock sense record. Yeah. And I, the thing is that what I like about it too is that I think that um, they're trying some new stuff than they did on Ugly. Like Ugly was the hardest stuff on this album just for the entire album. Like there's no Doom 84 on on this album right here. And they are trying to bring it down and get a little bit more melodic on some of the, on some of the tracks. Even though the bands are very different, uh, it's to me likened to a, a bit of the shift from uh the yeah yeah yeah's when they did mm-hmm. their uh when they did their self-titled EP and then when they put out Fever to Tell and you're like oh wait a second they can bring it in with they can bring it in with maps they can bring in some some different sounds right there it doesn't have to just be the same like art punk vibe the whole way and this uh with them I, I ugly is great but it's a it's just a blast of an album. There's no downtime mm-hmm. in that one. And this one, I think they're trying to trying to sequence things a little bit and try out some new areas of things. I think Chalk Tapes was was great for them like that. Just being able to bang out different songs right. really quickly without having to think through it too much. And I don't want to bring in the narrative too much with this, but Marissa had a big health scare uh, before they did Chalk Tapes, after they did Ugly, that took oh. them off the road for a while. And... You know, it's one of those things that makes you makes you wonder uh, how much that that influenced some of the songwriting and some of the technique in uh, in the newer in the newer work. Oh, I mean, I'm familiar with health scare, so yeah, yeah. I can imagine that it, that it would. Uh, it changes it changes your cre- creativity uh, to be sure. I mean, this is um, 
Yeah, I think it's funny because there's a song we're going to play in a minute here, uh, Wishing Well, is almost like straight pop. Yeah. And, and it is. And then when I, I was listening to it, I was like, man, these guys need to hang out with XX. Mm-hmm. Like, and then be, this will be like the most fun show like of all time. But yeah, th- and that's something, that's something to point out. If you can see them live, holy crap. Yeah, I can imagine. Great live. Awesome. When did you see them? Blackout? Yeah. Yeah. They showed the Waxahachie open oh, for God him. damn it. That's a great show. <laughs> I like Waxahachie. <laughs> yes. I don't like yes. the Waxahachie. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, so uh, actually let, let's go ahead and play that uh, song. Uh, this is on, uh, on an album that is, like you said, there are, there are some really heavy moments. There's some really heavy and like, whoa, man, I'm in my van and this is cool moments too. Uh, this is not This is not one of them. This is one of the lighter ones. Uh, this is Wishing Well. All right, so decidedly unshredtastic. Uh, that is that is wishing well. Um, if uh, if I'm being honest, uh, that this range is what separates this album from Ugly for me. Like like I said up front, I wasn't a fan of Ugly. I wasn't a fan of this band, but I see on this this sort of willing to experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a diversity in their sound and showing probably what's you know a little of their influences. Uh, a little more on that, and uh, so it makes it a, a highly enjoyable listen for me. I think, and it's the third song. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're, there's two songs that are pretty hard rocky, airing on the side of almost too hard for an old man like me. Mm-hmm. Although I'm maybe the youngest of the bunch or close to it, <laughs> but uh, but 
and then that third song is more this sort of surf rock 90s alternative kind yeah. of jam that it was like oh, okay there's some levels here it's not going to be one idea all the way through there's there's definitely they're varying it up they're trying to get somewhere else i, I agree yeah but i think the placement of it as the third song is is i think important yeah because it lets you know that you're not in for just getting pummeled right you know, uh, which is sometimes fun, but I do. It, it, it is sometimes fun. It does. It doesn't make a good album. I, I, I mean, I disagree so, because so, that's what Ugly was. And yeah, I thought it was a good album. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this one uh, does. How, how the fans? I mean, Paul, you you like the album? Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I think, it, as you said, it, it shows some some growth and some new directions from the band without getting away from what they already do really well. And that's I think that's a tough balance. So many times when people talk about bands experimenting, it either ends up being terrible or it gets labeled a transitional album, like what are they becoming right here? Right. And I feel like this just feels like a natural evolution. Like, okay, We've been together a long time. We've got this sound down. We're still going to use it, but we're going to just start working on variations and move around the edges and get a little bit more complex. I think it's a very good album. Do, do you think uh, they are necessarily worthy of that that moniker that people are being like, this is the, one of the best rock bands of all time? Well, all time. I'm not going to throw them into an all an all time conversation. Right. This goes down to like how many? How long is this list? Are we talking top one thousand? Like yeah. you know, uh, but I they're one of the bands that I like that I like the most that are active right now. Like okay. and active and making new material, not a legacy band. Like they're near the top of the list of bands that I will get excited about when they come back through town. Which they're not. They hate well, it's, I know they, but they came through in November, They did, which means, uh, you know, knowing how tours go right now, when they get back from the international leg of their tour, I wouldn't be surprised to see a nine thirty club date pop up in, oh, in yeah. October or something like that. So is wishing well a pee break song for you? No, you can be up but, front. but at nine thirty club, I, you know, you can hear it wherever you go. Right. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah, so this should be a big album for them. So, and, so and if you're a, if you're at uh, uh, Rock and Roll Hotel, you just don't take pee breaks. You'll never get back into the room. <laughs> don't get us banned, bro. <laughs> Didn't that already happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, where are you going to land on that? I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Patrick. Uh, stream. I'd right. stream it. Uh, there probably there's two or three songs I would throw on a mix here and there. Um, should have been an EP. Is that the right answer? No. Uh, no, <laughs> no Jared, Jared's not here. <laughs> Jared, Jared was like, I have to make snowballs. Yeah. For my kids. I was like, okay. okay. No, I, I liked uh, two, three, four of the songs. I would throw them around in a mix. I don't know yeah. that they would end up on the final cut of the mix, but it would. But they're they're decent songs. They're yeah. good. Yeah, uh, she, I, I want to say this. In the same way that I expressed my appreciation for, for, for Bjork last week, uh, Marissa, is that her name? Yeah. She can play guitar. I mean, yeah. she's very. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really interesting and she can really play there's no question about that yeah uh i'm actually gonna buy it uh because and it's a weird thing like the jessica pratt album um certain records are hitting me this year and and i'm I'm just in the mood to listen to that this is quick i think it's uh i don't pull up but it's it's a short album 35 35 minutes you put it on you're in you're out and you're Mm -hmm. like yeah that was fun like maybe i'll do it again sometime Mm -hmm. and uh no i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) that sounded amazing (laughs) but uh but yeah i mean you know as it goes i would like if more people 
made. Sometimes you don't have to necessarily think or analyze or break down like a lot of this music that's coming out. I mean, some of the best music, like we were talking guitarists earlier, the Ramones, you shouldn't. It's just like it's visceral. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, this, even the poppy moments hit me. So, uh, so yeah, so it's good. Bye bye, stream. Uh, now let's talk to a band that is also visceral, but in a very different way. Uh, this is uh, a place to bury strangers, and this is we've come so far. Set up front. We've come so far from uh, Place to Bury Strangers, a uh, New York band. I actually need to correct the post and said they were from Philly. I think they used to be, but uh, but uh, their fourth album, Transfixiation, um, first came across this band live at the 930 Club. Had no idea what the hell they were about. Uh, they set a uh, they set a, a speaker stack right dead center where the lead singer should be. And this is this is a trio. Um, and, and basically proceed to blow your fucking face off. It is one of the loudest shows I've ever been to. And it, and it is a thing that like uh, very visceral. It makes you sit up, take notice, and then have to go get like your organs checked after you see them. Uh, this is, uh, Oliver Ackerman on guitar and vocals, uh, Dion, uh, Lunadon on bass guitar and Robbie Gonzalez. This band is actually, um, they've had a, a major like, over the years, member shift. I think Oliver might be the only one still in there. I mean, I'll look it up and make sure. But uh, this has sort of been an evolving project. Uh, he was also one of the founders, uh, Ackerman, of the Death by Audio up in New York, which is a, a famous DIY space mm-hmm. that just closed, I think, because Vice moved in. That is one of the places it was affected. Um, 
on this record, as you can hear, uh, we have no need for a new Marilyn Manson album this year. (laughs) 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 And I I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, But, uh, you know, this is sort of a dark... Uh, gothy, if you will, at sometimes. Uh, inco- I don't think you need the if you will on that. It's pretty gothy. <laughs> yeah. uh, industrial, uh, in- industrial stuff that I don't know if I'm not just exposed to it anymore or not paying attention to the scene. But I, I don't hear this type of stuff anymore. Like Patrick, you, you're you're sort of looking. I don't hear much either, and I'm not normally terribly into it. Right? Yeah. So how's this making you feel? I liked it. <laughs> Did you? Um, yeah, I, I was surprised at how much I liked it. Um, I liked probably five out of the first six songs. With that said, the song Doom is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> deeper, deeper, sorry. Deeper, yeah. It's just terrible. But, you know, five out of the first six I listened to a couple times. I even tested it out in the car, and I was okay with it. Um, the later half of the album got a little bit too loud for mm-hmm. me on headphones, but... If you turn it way down, <laughs> if you don't actually listen to the record. Uh, but what I came to appreciate about it, and maybe this will be the thread in the conversation going back to you were talking about Death by Audio, is I feel like the late period Lou Reed sound where he was really playing with playing a lot of instruments really yeah, loudly yeah. in a really calibrated, exacting way. Mm-hmm. I think he would have loved this uh, because I think... Even though at first it sounds like it's just a lot of noise, if you really listen to it, it's pretty specific. And everything is set a certain way, and everything is um, finely tuned in a way. And I don't mean like in tune. I mean set to a specific level and a specific style mm. and in a way that is really interesting. I mean, I think they are less good at playing instruments than they are – good at playing instruments with effects. Or, I, 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 well, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think uh, Ackerman as a guitarist is just... Like, oh, he's good, it, yeah. It, it, like, out of nowhere, you hear these, like... Because it's got, like, this Joy Division drone. Yep. And and you can't say that about a lot of bands. I mean, drone is drone and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's a very specific that something Joy Division had that I think on some of these songs they have. But And all of a sudden, you'll have this weird blast of... Uh, like distorted guitar and I mean distorted by like it's run through eight processors and yeah. you don't recognize the sound but you know it's a guitar um yeah and it's just sort of um it definitely definitely is a uh you don't feel comfortable after listening to this no it makes you want to I mean I was thinking I would either want to like get in a fight or lift weights or <laughs> something I mean it's it's a it's a intense yeah. there's no you're not going to have tea to this but um, and you shouldn't drive in in standstill traffic on the on the um, beltway to this, which I did on the way. Here. But yeah. uh, but you know it's 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 definitely there are some melodies in the first few songs. Sure. There are some tunes in there, uh, definitely. Paul, what are you thinking? It's giving me flashbacks to like mid '90s Trent Reznor. You know, no, it's, it is. <laughs> well, they they actually toured with Nine Inch Nails. Oh well, there. Yeah, it's very um, you know. That's very appropriate. Uh, I, I there's some stuff on here that I like, but I've just never been a huge fan of uh, of industrial stuff. Yeah. And this it doesn't strike me as anything that's doing that's doing anything new beyond like what the 
well-known industrial bands were doing in the mid to late 90s. Sure, right here. Sure, sure. It's really kind of aping that style. And that's fine if you're into it. And there's not that, mu- there's not that much out there that's even semi-mainstream right now that's, mm-hmm. that's working purely in that style. Right. People will take little pieces of it. They'll take, they'll take the drone. They'll take some of the, some of the guitar feedback, but right. then do something different. This is stylistically very consistent with with that and i knew way too many people in college who were really into it and listened to a lot of it and i don't need to go back to that very frequently yeah i mean it and that is one thing they, they absolutely commit to the aesthetic yeah like there there is no like you know you you're putting on your like mascara or whatever yeah. you know even though the, the, these aren't those type of guys like they they i don't think they probably don't think their music is goth but I mean, the shit that was going on, like when you were in college, you know, back in early. Do 90s. you miss Pretty Hate Machine? Then go see. Yeah, these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's funny because, um, again, this is something that sort of struck me as uh, wasn't. I, I don't know when I'd be in the mood for this, but I was when I heard it, and I was like, oh, I get it, and I don't know if that's uh can be attributed to like the craft put in this album i mean there's a lot of ear candy if you are into hearing like this weird production stuff to like sort of sort of blow your mind like left all these it's Mm. there's a lot in there but it's also a very uh rigorous uh oral workout Mm -hmm. a-u-r-a-l um for that i want to um play another song off this here uh because this one actually, I think, dips back into like uh, old Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, this is uh, what we don't see. This is about. That one is yeah. It gets more into the uh, more like the Echo and the Bunnymen sound. Also, the uh, who, who sings the uh, uh, I'd melt the stars, melt with you. Is that English beat? Um, no, uh, I'd stop the world and melt with you. Yeah, I think that is English beat. Yeah, English beat. might be English beat. Yeah. You know, the, the sort of uh, British noise stuff. I mean, there's some My Bloody Valentine in there. Yeah, there's definitely which, My Bloody Valentine, which normally I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not either. But this kind of worked. That's the part that I actually liked of it. Did you? <laughs> You know, I like my well, I, 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 to contrast with like, I think it works for them. Yeah, you know, I think in doses and stuff. I think 
you know, we've talked about my bloody Valentine on the show and talked about the fact that I missed that. Like when Loveless came out, it just did not enter my sphere. Um, and you know, but that sound, you know, I'm fine. Give me fucking 20 amps and like 30 guitars all playing at once in my face. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you see them open for? Huh? Who did you see them open for? They, they opened for the, uh, Joy Formidable. Uh, or Formid- Formidable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, which is a, it's a weird band in their own right because yeah. they're tapping into the, uh, the actually what, uh, screaming females like the smashing pumpkins type stuff a little more poppy stuff. Yeah, they go a little more anthemic i think oh they absolutely do. They absolutely do um yeah for this though uh this is i've been trying to figure out who like, who would you guys recommend this record would be something that like they just put on and relax with <laughs> <laughs> well how many <laughs> drugs are these people all well that's in? what i'm saying <laughs> i mean that Hang on, though. Sometimes my wife used to have this theory. I'm sure she'll get mad at me later when she hears this, but uh, that you put on really loud, intense music to relax because it because of the drone effect. Right. Because it's just sort of there and it all is kind of washing together in a noise that it's like, you know, dog frequencies. Like it's just sort of there tickling your brain and you're not really paying full attention to it. So there could be that element of relaxation to it. Um and I can't tell what he's saying uh, most of the time. I mean, I picked right. out a few lyrics here and there, but it's not like the you really have to pay attention to the specific words or the sentiment of the song. Um, you know, I'm not saying listen to it on earphones. I do think there's some really nice ear candy in there. Yeah. but I don't think it comes from the lyrics. So, you know, this could no, be something building- you have on as you're, you know doing something relatively relaxing just as a kind of a wall of sound. Would this be, I'll throw this out there. Would this be music for people who are too big of a pussies to listen to swans? (laughs) (laughs) You mean, you mean like me? Definitely. This is definitely less work than swans. Well, yeah. Well, no, actually because uh, Andre and I (laughs) reviewed swans and we just, we sat down here and looked at each other like, I don't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's trying as hard to be taken seriously in yeah. a way or something. Yeah, it's just sort of like jam. Let's go. Like, you know. I think they know exactly what they're doing, and in terms of this sonic sort of landscape of what they're doing, and I think they know that they're not reinventing the wheel, and I think they're just trying to execute something mm-hmm. very specific, and I think they do a pretty good job of it. So yeah, yeah, unlike Swans, which I, yeah. Oof. Swanza's like I, I still don't quite get it. But I mean you you get it in like little packets. Swans is like sitting down to read a novel that you know is probably good, but it's gonna take you like five minutes a page to get through because yeah. it's like you have to parse every sentence. Gravity's like, rainbow kind of thing. Yeah, you're like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to sit down and listen to Swans for the next two hours, and that's all I'm doing. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's not a mood that I find myself in all that no, often. No, 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 no. But this, this is uh, this is not that. a little more populist. Yeah. yeah. Gets there. Uh, it's not um, overly complicated. No, that, that it's not. I yeah. mean, especially like part of the reason I f- fell for this album is that first song is basically th- three instruments. Um, 
Oh, most of the songs are. They yeah. have, have some but, it, but, but, but not in a way where, uh, you know, you could, you could definitely pick out the three instruments. There wasn't a bleed. There wasn't a wall of sound mm-hmm. in that first song. And so, yeah, I mean, it, you could, it's not overly complicated. It's not trying to be more than it is. That's a terrible, vague thing to say. But no, it's 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 beating you over the head with a hammer. But the hammer is like a nerf. Yeah, just you know, good. Uh, so where where do you think you're gonna fall on it? I'm into buying this. Yeah. Um, for me to like five out of the first six songs on something, that's not terribly common. Uh, although I do really hate the song "Deeper" with everything in my body. Um, sorry. <laughs> and I like some of the second half, but I, it, 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 after lower zone, right. It really, um, <clears throat> with, we've come so far, what you, yeah, what you yeah, played, yeah. it really gets loud, like yeah. incredibly loud. And so I had to take it down a notch. Yeah. It is sort of like, it is sort of like they were like, we're going to try some new stuff. Cause this is the, the other earlier albums are really just like slam you over the head, punch you in the dick. Like this is fucking, we're, we're doing it to your eardrums. Right. Uh, and, and your dick, apparently. <laughs> You're not supposed to have the headphones on your dick, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, uh, setting new trends? I don't know. Um, but yeah, but this is definitely them, uh, sounds like trying out more space. Yeah. But still trying to get the impact. But then by halfway through the album, they're like, fuck it. <laughs> Just go for it. Yeah, but even in those louder songs, that's that late period Lou Reed thing and the and the how specific they are about how everything is calibrated. It's still there. It's just mm-hmm. becomes, there's just a lot more going on. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, uh, I'll give it a stream. It's not something I'm going to listen to very often, but I think that they execute what they're trying to execute pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence, Mike. I think I'm going to buy it. I think because, uh, again, if you if you can lay out in 2015 an album that like I'm just going to put on and I'm like oh that was cool like that puts me in the thing then like you're doing better than most people did in 2014 um and if you can do it maybe this is a reaction to like uh and I say this as in like high praise all the bro rock in 2014 mm-hmm. like the war on drugs shit you know like that is such a fucking incredible album but it it makes me feel good cuz it's like bro <laughs> and now you just want something a little more jagged yeah yeah no 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 something like that makes me feel good but not not necessarily it could it be the winter like are you gonna like just be looking for best coast in a few months or something i will never be <laughs> looking for best coast uh but actually that's what we said about jessica pratt yeah. like you know the, the winter like that album will get abandoned like i i don't think so but um yeah so so gonna buy it um that's a better podcast for this week uh, two things before we get out, I wanted to talk about besides the nine thirty club, uh, getting the award for best nightclub, Washington D.C. in in MSN.com or something, mm-hmm. named the best music city in America. Now, uh, I would I've been saying some variation of this for a while. Like I couldn't run the site in another city. I mean, I, it could do it in New York. It could do it in Chicago and stuff. But what is unique about D.C., I think, and this article didn't really get into that um, because they still list, like, it's the home place of Fugazi. I was going to say, how many times? Yeah, they uh, Fugazi twice. In there? Twice they, they mm-hmm. mentioned Fugazi. Um, but, uh, but, you know, everything comes here. Every Everything yep. has to come here. I mean, this is 
you know, the seat of power for the nation. And people don't not want to play here. And especially now if you have the 930 Club. Well, and it's still relatively accessible. There are still right. accessible venues, even if the 930 Club tickets are being sold mostly on the secondary market. There's still places <laughs> where, you know, if you live within 30 minutes of the city, you can go see stuff. And it's relatively affordable. And that's I mean, not just true in got- other cities. It's not necessarily true in New York or L.A. or yeah, and I think I take it. I, think, I, think I personally thing, take that but, for granted sometimes. Yeah, like, I do too. You think about nine thirty club, Black Cat, DC nine, uh, Rock and Roll Hotel, you know, whatever, uh, Birchmere, mm-hmm. um, Wolf Trap. If you want to go outdoors, Merriweather Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be what? What other clubs am I thinking of? You Street Music Hall. Yeah, yeah. I mean that place is Lincoln. I mean that's the Lincoln yeah. now, um, which is part of the IMPM. Right. But even U, U Street, we're going to be talking but to. But even uh, um, don't forget things like Blues Alley and Bohemian Cavern. Right. I mean, there's quite a spectrum of different types of music. The Listener Auditorium has interesting stuff once right. in a while. So. In in a city that is not metropolitan, Dar, Dar Constitution, well, which Dar. has terrible sound, but whatever. <laughs> they do get good acts through yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw Ryan Adams and Arcade Fire there, so uh, not together, but, yeah. uh, you know, but yeah, so. But even, but there's also, not to go on about this, but the fact that it has proximity to Baltimore, there's a couple really nice spaces in Baltimore, too. Yeah. There's the Opera House and, you know, things like that, where I saw Ryan Adams at the, at the Opera House, and there's places like the Strathmore. Like, I don't think there's a city... I'm sure there is. I'm sure someone will provide an exception. I, I don't know. I don't think there's a city with as many different types of venues that get as many different types of acts on a regular basis throughout the calendar year, yeah. all of which are relatively accessible by car within 30 minutes for most people in the area. That's uh, – I don't think yeah. there's another city that does that. Yeah. So it's uh, – the article is sort of – like I said, it mentions Fugazi a lot uh-huh. uh, a few times, but uh, – it, it has a point. So, so just wanted to mention that um, because that is, uh, I think, uh, I think this is definitely the best music city I've lived in. I mean, for sure. Uh, so the other thing, um, and then, then we'll let you go here. Uh, earlier this week, Bandwidth published an article about uh, the cost of DIY touring, and the guy from a, a local band uh, told this whole like story of how when they were on tour. Uh, that they would steal gas from people <laughs> by siphoning it out, out of their uh, uh, cars and what, and but you know, hey, it's rock and roll, and then and then said, you know, but we backed off of that because not because you're a douchebag for doing that, but because they're worried they're going to get shot. Mm-hmm. So Paul, you were just basically saying, fuck that guy. Yeah, no, pretty much fuck that guy. Like. I understand it's hard to tour. Everybody's everybody's got hardships, but your desire to keep your van on the road does not trump, you know, the desire of the person who's got gas in their car to get to work the next day. Like you don't you're not you don't know that even if you even if you were stealing from millionaires, it wouldn't be right. But you don't know who you're taking money from. Right. Like you are taking a valuable commodity from somebody else. That other person purchased it and you're doing it because you're like, I want to keep my band on the road like. That's bullshit. Do something else. Yep. Yep. I mean, so to anybody who, who read that article, uh, you know, if you find yourself touring in your, in your van gets broken into, uh, contact me. I might have it up on eBay. So there, there you go. Uh, that's our podcast for the week. Uh, thank you guys for coming down. Uh, next week, I think we're going to do the open mic one. So we'll all take a break. This is taped back earlier last year. 
and then come back with uh, Modest Mouse, probably. Yeah. So, all right. See you guys later. I still hear guitars in there.